If you do not have a Bible, there's a stack of them. Mr. Corey's got them right there. All those blue Bibles. If you need one, raise your hand real quick. Mr. Corey will take care of you and make sure you've got what you need. Alright? For those of you who have been here for a while, what book have we been studying? James! That's right! We've been looking at the book of James. Tonight we're actually going to finish up James chapter 3. Does anybody... Do I need to separate you guys? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't asked the questions yet. Hey, does anybody know how many weeks we've been in the book of James so far? A lot. Wait, hold on. I see seven. I, did I hear 14? Not that many yet. It may be by the time we get done. Five? Close? Five? Six? This is week number nine. Okay, so we're, we're finishing up James chapter three, week number nine. And here's the thing, if you notice up here, you see all this caution tape on the screen because what we've talked about is the fact that the book of James really ought to come with a warning label. Because if you read through what James is talking about in this entire book, he's, he's talking to early believers, but he's addressing some, some pretty significant issues in the early church. He talks about things like showing partiality and not playing favorites in the church. He talks about learning how to control your tongue and the way that you speak to people and interact with people. He talks about all kinds of different things. And what James is doing in this book is he's calling every single believer that read this letter in the early church and every single believer that reads this letter now, he's calling all of us to take what we say we believe and let it collide with the way that we live our life. That the things we say we understand, the things we know about God, who He's called us to be in Scripture, has to actually be played out in the way that we interact with other believers and with the rest of the world that doesn't know Christ yet, that Lord willing, we get the opportunity to share the Gospel with. Because it's in God's Word where we figure out how to navigate this crazy life. It's in God's Word where we understand and gain the wisdom to be able to live a life that honors God, to take what we believe, let it collide with our real life, and actually show folks who don't know Christ what it looks like to have a relationship with the Savior of the world. And that wisdom that James is talking about tonight, he actually starts giving us illustrations in this last part of James chapter 3 of what false wisdom looks like and what true wisdom looks like. Now, this is not the first time in this book James has mentioned wisdom. Can anybody remember where he talked about it before in this book? Remember, we're only three chapters in, so it's not that far away. What's that? you got pretty good chances here. It's chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 5 said this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So James makes it very clear five verses into this book that if we need wisdom for our lives, if we need to know how to live a life that honors God, how to navigate situations every single day, that God is the one that we need to go to and, and we need to ask God for that wisdom. And in fact, he goes on in that same passage and says, but if you're going to ask, don't ask and doubt that God's going to give it to you. If you're going to ask, you need to believe that God's going to give you the wisdom you're asking for. And when God gives us that wisdom, now we have a responsibility to do something with it. So James is talking about wisdom in the second half of this chapter. So let me ask you this question. What is wisdom? It's this thing in your brain. <laughs> okay. What, what is this thing in your brain? What does that mean? Knowledge. Okay. The older you are. 
And, and that, that, that is a common... <laughs> but you're still respectful, right? Obviously, okay? I'm going to go with Sarah this time because you played the game. Knowledge gained over time, okay? Erica? So... So I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Okay, I get it. How about, how, let's go with common sense. Okay. Okay. Chloe. Hey, y'all Y'all listen up, guys. Okay, all right, that, that's a good definition too. Any other guesses? Everybody's going to quit after that one, okay? Just, uh, Jacob. Common sense? Okay, I think that, that's, that's, uh, that's part of it too. Good job, Jacob. That's right. Well, if you, if you think about it, think about it this way. How many of you, now, I know this is a loaded question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you know how to drive a car? Hold on, hold on. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. I didn't say, give me all of the explanations of why you know how to drive a car. Just, it's a yes or no question. No, stop, stop. I love you, stop. <laughs> it's a yes or no question, okay? You know how to drive a car. One more time, show of hands. I know how to drive a car. Okay, so, think about it this way. When you learn to drive a car, there were basic pieces of knowledge that you had to gain. Number one, how to open the door and get in the car. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. Hey, some people struggle with that basic step. You had to learn to put on a seatbelt. You had to learn if you were in an automatic, which was the gas, which was the brake. If you were learning how to drive a stick shift, you had to learn which was the clutch and the gas and the brake and how to operate those appropriately so you didn't give your parents whiplash every time you tried to start and go. Okay? Hey, by the way, listen, listen. You need to know the difference there. When Kathleen and I first got married, I had a truck that was a stick shift. It was a manual. And then when we started having kids, you can't put a car seat in a little pickup truck. So we traded vehicles, got rid of my truck. She got a van. I got her vehicle, which was an automatic. And for somebody that had been driving a, a stick shift for like a decade at that point, there was more than one time driving down the interstate or a highway in town where not even thinking I would go to shift gears. There's no clutch on an automatic, so guess what I hit? The brake every single time. I gave her whiplash so many times, it was ridiculous. So, the knowledge, hey, knowledge doesn't always equate to wisdom. I, I knew what the right thing was to do, but I didn't always do do it because I made mistakes. Guys, a lot of times we equate wisdom with age and with facts, with knowledge. And that may play a part in it, but when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge and when to apply that knowledge. 
It, it's kind of like this. A lot of times people will think, you know, if, if I just ask God for wisdom, God will give me wisdom. And all of a sudden, because I've got this special connection to God, I can get the big grand picture of everything and know exactly what God wants me to do, where He's taking me 15 years from now, and have the big picture in mind. And, and the truth is, that's, that's not how God works 99% of the time. What God does is God says, I will give you wisdom so that you can navigate this part. I'm not showing you the rest of the road yet. I'm showing you here. And that's why I ask you about driving a car because wisdom is kind of like learning to drive a car. You learn the basic things. You get in the car. You can go down the road. But while you're going down the road, it doesn't do you any good to start complaining about why the interstate is six lanes wide. It doesn't do you any good to start wondering why did that traffic engineer, that civil engineer, put a roundabout in the middle of a perfectly good road? What you've got to do instead is you've got to pay attention to the ever-changing things that are going on around you. And wisdom is knowing when somebody cuts you off and hits the brakes that you better slow down. Wisdom is knowing that when the light turns yellow, you don't go faster. You start to slow down because it's going to turn red. I, know, I, I knew that was coming from somebody. Hey, listen to me. Listen. Some of you said that experience is also part of wisdom. The first, second, or third time you get the ticket for running that red light, you'll gain that wisdom on that one, okay? So we're just going to... No, no more comments. We're going to leave that right there. Listen up, guys. Hey. Wisdom is something that we all want. But what we've got to understand is that there's two different kinds of wisdom. And that's what James is going to walk us through tonight in the last half of chapter 3. So before we jump into that, I've got questions that I ask you every single week when we're stepping through a book of the Bible. You knew I was going to ask these questions. You ready? Okay, so everybody but these three can answer. Are you ready? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, basics of a book. Who wrote the book? James. When do we believe he wrote it? 42, 45 A.D., somewhere in the, the early to mid-40s A.D. Who did he write it to? Early Jewish Christians in house churches. Why did he write it? Encourage them to live out their faith. Okay? Hey guys, it matters that we know why someone wrote a book of the Bible and what the original intent was so that we make sure when we read it, we understand what we're supposed to learn from it. Because there's contextual things that are going on and that's why we need to know what was happening during that time. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I ask you to do every week. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to ask Miss Ashley, where are you? Come on up here, Miss Ashley. She's going to read our passage for us tonight. <laughs> James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Take it away, Ashley. Who is wise and understanding among you? But his good conduct lets him show the works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, jealous, and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. From where jealousy and selfish ambitions exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, the, peace, the peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And pray for us. God, I pray that you just be with us tonight as Pastor Jesse teaches us more about you, God. And I pray that his words will help to inspire us in our growth and help us to be and help us to better understand your word. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Ashley. Y'all can have a seat. All right. So let's just jump right into this. Verse 13. Look at what James does. He starts this off with a question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, I love the way he does this because it's kind of a trick question. It would be like me asking you guys, which one of you in here is the most humble person in this room? And see, I see hands going up all over the place. Exactly. As soon as you answer that question positively, guess what? You are not humble anymore. You've drawn the attention to yourself. That's, that's what James is doing here with this very first question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So if you say, you know what? I'm wise. I'm understanding. So, okay, great. If that's true, let's see it. It, it kind of negates itself as soon as he asks that. And, and he asks that because it, it, it kind of puts things in perspective for us. As we talked about before, we often equate wisdom with knowledge. We think if we learn enough facts, then we'll have wisdom. We'll know how to live our life. But that knowledge never put into action is not wisdom. It's just knowledge. You know a lot of things, but you don't know how to live a life that honors God. Wisdom is what you know and what you do with that knowledge. That's a good basic definition. It's shown by what you think. If you remember back in chapter 2, at the end of that second chapter, Paul was talking about faith. Or not Paul, I'm sorry, James, because we talked about Paul that night. Do you remember what James said about faith in chapter 2? Faith without works is dead. So, by the way, for those of you that don't know me, um, everybody in here has heard this before. You all have that one teacher that when they ask a question, they can't stand awkward silence, so they will immediately answer their own question. I am not that teacher. I don't mind, so I'll wait for an answer every single time. So yes, that's exactly what it is. He's talking about faith without works is dead. And as you look through this verse right here, he starts to pair some words together. In fact, he says there, by his good conduct... So this is any believer, any person, remember he's writing to the early church, any person that believes that they are wise by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now that word right there, meekness of wisdom, what comes to mind when you hear the word meekness? What's that? Not you, okay, good definition. <laughs> what do you, what, what comes to mind? What? Small? Quiet, reserved, what's that? Belittle, okay. Weak, oh, these are good definitions. Absolutely. And guess what? When this was written, those were some of the same definitions used for that word that people understood. This was, during this time, in the, in the Greek culture where this would have been, this, this idea of meekness, it would have been weakness. It would have been an undesirable trait. It would have been negative. So for James to say that you need to have your, your wisdom, let his good conduct show him, let his, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James is pulling something to the forefront here that is important for us to see. Some of you guys, just a couple weeks ago, the high school put on a play called The Wizard of Oz, which great play, by the way. Hopefully some of y'all saw it. If you did not, you've probably seen the movie before. There's a character in that movie. There's the lion. But what's the name he's really known by? Cowardly Lion. Do you know that when he goes to see the wizard, and the wizard's giving him what he wants, do you remember what the wizard tells him specifically about courage? Because remember, courage is what he wants more than anything. 
Not quite. Do you remember what he says? When he meets the wizard, the wizard tells him, he says, you are confusing wisdom with courage. See, in that play, that lion was meek. Because if you watched him, if you've watched the movie, he, he, he gets the name cowardly because he runs from things. He's scared of things. And yet the wizard says, you're, you're confusing. You're, you, think you, want, you think you don't have courage, but what he really had was meekness. And what he helps him understand is that that's not a bad thing. He just needs to know when to use that. And that's what James is saying right here. You can have wisdom, but in meekness, it means you understand how to use that wisdom that God has given you. Because sometimes we think if God has shown us something as a disciple of Jesus, that now we have a responsibility to point out the flaw in everyone else's life who isn't living up to the same standard that we're living up to when it comes to God's Word. And while God may have granted us wisdom to know how He wants us to live a life that honors Him, meekness tells us not everybody else may be at the same place we are in their, with their relationship with God. Not everybody else in their relationship with God may be understanding the same things that we're understanding. Maybe they're not struggling with the same things that we're struggling with or conquering the same things that God is helping us conquer. So we've got to take that wisdom that He gives us and we've got to hold it in meekness. Meekness is controlled power, guys. It's understanding that the all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent creator of the universe gives us wisdom and gives us life and gives us knowledge. And with those things, we have a responsibility to show the love and grace and mercy of God to other people when we're given that wisdom to take that power that God allows us to participate in and to use it in a way that shows we understand our place in the created order. That it's not for us to take what God grants us and lord it over other people and point out how bad they are. It's for us to say, thank you, God, for showing that to me. Help me show that to somebody else with the same love and the grace and the mercy and the meekness that we have. It's very important that we pay attention to that word because it helps us understand who we are and who God is and the way all of this works. That's why you see our relationship with God equated to having wisdom throughout Scripture. There's two places in the Old Testament. Psalm 111.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we talk about needing wisdom in our lives. We've got to understand that the true source of that wisdom is God. And until we have a, I don't even want to say, it says fear, but it's not a, I am scared to death that God is going to kill me right here, right now because of my sin, fear. It's an overwhelming awe of who God is that He's powerful, that He's merciful, that His greatness is nothing that we could ever attain, and yet He chooses to have a relationship with us through His Son, Jesus. That's what that's talking about. He says when we get that, that relationship with Him begins. 
And that's when we can ask for wisdom. And what James does in the next couple verses is he helps us understand what true wisdom looks like and what false wisdom looks like. It's, it's kind of like you, you've got to look at the bad to be able to really recognize the good. So look at what he says here, starting in verse 14. Remember, who is he writing this to? Yeah, the early church. Jewish Christians, house churches. Keep that in mind as you read these next couple verses. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James says, if you say that you've got wisdom, and yet you've got these other things in your life, this bitter jealousy, this selfish ambition, you've got a problem. And remember, he's talking to the early church. That means this was an issue then, and guess what? It's still an issue now. We still see these things pop up and rear their ugly heads in church life now. And James is saying, there's no place for it in the church. There's no place for it in the body of believers, and we've got to be on guard for those things. And, and the words he uses there, he talks about um, jealousy. His, his exact verbiage is bitter, jealousy, and selfish ambition. We all know what jealousy is, right? I'm pretty sure every single person in this room has experienced it at least once where someone got something that you really want. Or maybe they have a relationship that you wish you had or, or a position or some kind of authority and you really want that and, and you're jealous. Not to the point of, I really wish I had that, but man, that should be mine. That's what he's talking about when he uses that word here. Possession, status, relationship, it's a resentful competition. And, and we, we all know people like that. We all know people, and maybe we're that person, that can't stand to see other people happy or other people exceed, succeed because we're jealous of what they have. James is saying, there's no place for that. There's no place for that in the life of a believer, period, no matter what arena you find yourself in. But there's especially no place for that in the church. Because we're called to build each other up. We're called to encourage each other. We're called to breathe life into one another. And when we've got jealousy, that doesn't happen. And then he says there also, he talks about selfish ambition. Is ambition a bad thing? No, it's, it's not. I mean, Scripture tells us that we're supposed to do everything, work everything that we do as if we're doing it for God. Because at the end of the day, we are. Ambition to do a good job, ambition to succeed, ambition to be everything that God has created us and called us to be, that's a good thing. But he pairs that word with selfish. Selfish ambition is a totally different animal. That's where you have the desire to put yourself above everybody else. No matter the cost. No matter who gets hurt. No matter whose reputation gets slandered. Regardless of how it affects anybody else involved, you have the desire to be on top number one. There's no place for that in the church. Because when you start to get those things, that jealousy, that, that selfish ambition, you start having pockets develop in the church and people start fighting. And before you know it, churches split. And, and why do churches split? Over stupid things like the color of carpet and the color of pews and the types of music when we're all supposed to be focused on God. 
But it's when we take our focus off of God and we start asking Him for the wisdom that He promises to give us that those things start to creep in and we lose sight of what God has called us to be. James says there's no room for that in the life of the church. When we start to see those things, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit and individual believers. It's the exact opposite. In fact, he uses some pretty strong language there. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. Church isn't supposed to be demonic, is it? Guys, he writes this so we know how to be on guard. So that we know what this looks like when we see it. Not just in other people, but in ourselves. That's what he's talking about when he goes on in that verse there. He says, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above. When we start to read God's Word and we start to see these things in our own lives, what we tend to do, what I tend to do sometimes, is when God shows me something that I don't like about myself, we try to cover it up. Okay, God, I, I, I see what you're showing me there, but did you see what they did? Look at how I compare to that person. I'm not as bad as them. And, and we begin to lie to ourselves. That, that what God is showing us is not quite so bad because there's always somebody that's worse than we are. And what begins to happen is lie builds on lie, builds on lie, and it begins to snowball to the point that guess what? We're not even representing the truth anymore after a while. James says, don't do that. Face up to it. Own up to it. Recognize it in your own life so that it doesn't begin to creep in through you into the body of believers. And he gives us all of this. He tells us all of this information because we have to stop and ask ourselves. And I challenge you to do that. Think about this right now. Does that describe you? Selfish ambition. Jealousy. Does that describe you when it comes to living a life that honors God? Or a life that dishonors God is a better way to say it. Think about that for a second. In the next couple of verses, he's given us what false wisdom looks like. Now let's look at what true wisdom looks like. Verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is pretty clear here. True wisdom is from God above. It's pure. It's not motivated by bitter, excuse me, it's not motivated by bitterness, selfishness, disorder, that chaos that he talked about. It's not designated by any of those things. He's saying it's, he gives a couple of words here. He says it's, it's peaceable. That means people who are really seeking true wisdom from God and receive wisdom from God, they're living in peace with other people. Everybody knows somebody in your life that's always up in arms and mad and has to be in an argument or frustrated about something. And yet what Scripture tells us again and again is that if we're living a life that honors God and seeking Him, we're going to feel the peace of God. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Catch what that means. So far as it depends on you, that means you can't control what everybody else does. And man, we wish we could control what everybody else does, don't we? If they would just stop doing this, and if they would stop doing that, and if they would stop being so stupid, everything would be fine. Paul says, that's not your role. 
Your role is your role. So far as it depends on you. And he's saying that wisdom from above, wisdom from God, creates that type of peace in us. And then he uses that word gentle, which goes to that. Open to reason. That means you've got people who are not just set on their own path. This is the way I want it done. This is how I'm going to do it. And nothing's going to change my course. Open to reason means you're open to somebody else speaking truth into your life. And changing your course, changing your attitude, changing your thoughts based on that truth. Full of mercy and good fruits. That means people can see who Jesus is by looking at how you treat people. It's compassion and action. It's people seeing you live out what you actually say you believe and then impartial. That's what he talked about in James 2, 1-7. through It's looking at everyone because they are all created in the image of God. Even when their lifestyle and their political views and their opinions don't line up with yours. Now, that doesn't mean we approve of or condone those things that are different. But it means we recognize that every single human being on this planet is made in the image of God. And, and we've got to remember that when we interact with people, whether we agree with how they live or not. They still have a God that loves them. They still have a God that sent Jesus to die for their sins. That's what James is helping us understand here. And then he says to be sincere. What you see is what you get. This is what true wisdom looks like in the life of a disciple. It's not just knowing the right things to do, knowing how God wants you to live. It's actually living it out on a daily basis, moment by moment, relationship by relationship. And my question for you tonight as we close is this. Which one of these does your life look like tonight? Is it a life that's filled with bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, chaos, disorder? Is there trouble in every relationship that you have? Do people not want to be around you because they know that there's going to be turbulence everywhere you go? Or does your life look like this second one here? Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. This kind of wisdom that James is talking about right here only comes from God. And the only way we ever have an opportunity, even a chance of experiencing that kind of wisdom in our life is if we have a relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we just celebrated this past weekend. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing, nothing we can do to make our way to God. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough money. You can't sing all the right songs. You can't check off all the boxes and go to Sunday school and go to church and show up every time the doors are open and earn your way to God. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins because we can't pay that penalty. And then three days later, He rose from the tomb. And He conquered death. And He conquered sin. And He gives us the opportunity to turn to Him, to turn away from all that selfishness, that deceitfulness, that, that, that bitterness, all of those things that He talked about here and put our faith and trust in Jesus. God, I, I need Your forgiveness, God. I know I don't live a life that honors You, God. I want to be forgiven and I want to follow You with the rest of my life. Nothing magic about those words. Scripture says you use your own words. 
but you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And Scripture tells us in that moment, you are saved. Saved from your sin. <laughs> saved to a new life in Christ. And once you experience that, that's when you have the opportunity to understand God's wisdom in your life and His love and His mercy and His grace. And what we're getting ready to do here in a moment is, is I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. But every one of you in here, either in your hands or under your chair, on your chair, is one of those yellow cards. And if you're in here tonight, I want to challenge you one of two things. Number one is this. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're ready to do that tonight, you're ready to have that relationship, I want to challenge you, write it on that card, write your name, and write down some way for me to contact you because I would love to follow up with you and talk to you about that. And if you're in here tonight and you say, just pray for me. Pray that I'll have the wisdom that God gives. Pray for me in this situation. Maybe you're dealing with something. Maybe you're struggling with something. And you just need somebody else to pray for you. That's what these adults do in here on a regular basis. Write that down on that card. And when we start to sing, just walk up and drop it in that basket. Nobody's going to see me and a couple of these other adults who will pray for you. But guys, don't walk out of here tonight without taking whatever that is in your life and asking God's wisdom. If you're in here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, don't walk out of here tonight without making the most important decision in your life that you will ever make. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together, God. We thank you that we can worship you. We thank you that we can understand how you want us to live a life that honors you. God, thank you for books like James where it takes the the everyday practical problems that we get ourselves into, God, and you show us your wisdom through his word. God, I pray for every single person in this room tonight, Lord. Help us to live a life that honors you. God, I would ask that you would grant the wisdom. And, and God, as, as this book says, I don't do that with doubting, God, because I know that if we ask for it, you're going to give it. And, and sometimes you're going to use it to show us things that maybe are uncomfortable. God, I pray that you would do that right now. Help each one of us in this room to see our life, to see our situation, to see our spiritual condition through your eyes. And to know that you love us and you want nothing more than a relationship with us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing.